Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Pastor Adam. And we want to thank you for joining us tonight. Now, if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to the book of Psalms 23. And uh, tonight, I want to talk a little bit about... um, uh, a subject I've preached this psalm many times, and uh, and but the Lord has given me just a little fresh look at Psalms and twenty three tonight. I believe it's appropriate for the hour and time we live in. But I want to preach on the next few Thursdays. I want to preach uh, on a series of paralyzed by fear or empowered by hope. And I want to talk about through this psalm we see God as a shepherd and how He cares for His people. And uh, we see that sheep have a tendency to be paralyzed by fear. And of course, so every Thursday, the next few Thursdays, we're going to talk about and dive into this psalm a little bit deeper. And I believe God has given me a fresh look and hope of what we can find out of this psalm and pull out of it uh, in this time. Now, on Sundays, we've been talking about Daniel. But this Sunday, we're going to do Palm Sunday and then Easter. And then we'll be back into the book of Daniel And so hopefully soon we'll be able to gather back together. But if you have your copy of God's Word, if you'll turn to Psalm 23, one of my favorite psalms. And I want to talk tonight about the many faces of fear. There are many faces of fear, and one of them, I'm going to talk specifically about one tonight. And I believe it's a word for somebody. I believe somebody needs to hear this encouraging word tonight. And I want to take you to a psalm tonight that is written by, really written by an Old Testament general. And uh, there, are, there are a number of generals that are in the Old Testament, a lot of great men of God that have been generals. There's Abner, there's Joash, uh, and there's two that really stand out above the rest of them. One is Joshua, uh, as we know, was always a great warrior, and of course, David. David was a great general. When we begin to look at Psalms 23, Psalms 23 is one of the most read psalms and chapters in all of the Bible. It is one of the most popular psalms that is read, one of the most popular scriptures that is read in the scripture among a couple of others. But it is one of the, most, uh, one of the ones that are mostly read. I want to read to you uh, a few verses. I'm going to read this psalm together, and then we'll get right into the word tonight. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, I want you just to remember that passage tonight because that is where we're going to be tonight. Right there in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, staff, they comfort me. Isn't that a great comfort to know that God is right beside us as a shepherd, that his rod and his staff, the Bible says, comfort us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a powerful psalm, and I want to talk tonight on this great psalm and kind of get us into this tonight. And I want to talk about the ability that fear has to paralyze our life. But as you read this psalm and as we pull out of this psalm some truth, we're going we're gonna to see that God can empower and bring hope into our lives and empower us with hope tonight. 
and as we look at this song. You know, in 1964, there was a movie that came out by Tony Randall. You know, one of the things I loved to do when I was a young kid was watch old movies with my father. One of the things that I enjoyed and remember as a kid uh, with my dad, me and my dad uh, on Sundays, Saturdays and Sundays, we'd watch old movies. My father loved old movies. And so on on Sundays at times, we would watch Tarzan, we'd watch John Wayne, we would watch Jimmy Stewart, Shenandoah, we would watch Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, we'd watch some of the old movies. And so one of the movies I remember watching was a movie that was made in 1964 by Tony Randall. Uh, that was a flop at the box office, but it kind of became one of those films like It's a Wonderful Life. It kind of... Uh, uh, it, it became one of those movies that everybody came to love, even though it was a flop at the box office, uh, and uh, people began to go back and watch. Well, I remember this movie being on. The title of the film was The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe, uh, and uh, The Seven Faces of Dr. Lowe. Tony Randall played uh, the seven different people, characters in the movie, and uh, he plays this Chinese man who comes to an Arizona town that is suffering from drought. And he comes into this town, and uh, when he comes into this town, he brings this circus with him. And it's kind of a freak show, and all these people that are uh, in this circus are pretty bizarre. bizarre. Um, they're kind of bizarre. It's a little town of folks um, uh, who, who think they would be, you'd think they would be normal people, but what happens by the end of the movie, the folks in the circus are more normal than the people that are in the town. The people in the town seem to be more dysfunctional than those that are in the circus. And the whole thing is to say, uh, the whole thing, uh, I tell you that to say this, uh, he, there was the seven faces of Dr. Lowe, but I tell you to tell you that, the psychologists say that there are seven faces, the fear. Uh, there is uh, anxiety, stress, uh, pain, obsession, um, and I'm not going to go through all of those tonight, but I do want to talk about tonight one of the faces of fear, and David talks about it here in Psalm 23, and he begins to talk about it here in verse 1. One of the faces of fear that we're going to talk about tonight, and one of the, one of the fears that paralyze our lives, I want to talk about the fear of worry and the fear of worry in our life. We don't know for sure when David wrote this psalm, uh, some scholars believe that it was at the height of David's reign as king of Israel. Some believe, that others would say, that it was when he was an old man looking back upon his life that he wrote this psalm. And, uh, but most scholars believe that uh, when he wrote this psalm, he was just a lad. He was just a young man that was tending sheep when he wrote this particular psalm. And they believe that because if you remember the story of Samuel that came um, looking for the next king of Israel to anoint them, came to Jesse's house. As a young boy, David being out in the field, Jesse could not find the one whom the Lord wanted him to anoint there in Bethlehem. And David was a young man out watching the sheep. And, uh, uh, and at this time, when, when Samuel had anointed him as king as a young man, I could just imagine one evening David being out in this field, being out in the midst of the sheep, watching his sheep, that uh, while he was laying down one evening, while his sheep were laying and he was laying down, I, I believe that, that all of a sudden to think about that in this moment, all of a sudden God began to speak to him 
about being a shepherd and what a shepherd was. And in the course of the day, we know that David understood what it was like to be a shepherd. Matter of fact, he watched over the sheep. He protected the sheep. He walked with them. He walked in front of them. He walked behind them. He walked in the midst of them. He nursed them when they were sick. He'd gone after them when they had gone astray. He led them to places they had needed to go. Uh, he led them uh, away from, from certain places, and, and uh, uh, he's brought them back when they had strayed and gone off, and he's brought them back into the sheepfold. And, and this, is, uh, this is, David must have said to him, well, this is what I have done as a shepherd. He understood what he had to do as a shepherd, and I believe that as he laid there, or as he thought about this, he thought to himself, if God is my shepherd, these are the things that God must do for me also. Realizing that as a shepherd, as he cared for the sheep, he came to the revelation and on the understanding that this is what God also does for me as a believer. Now, this is a great psalm. There's great truth that are in the midst and the power of this psalm. Who the shepherd, uh, David, thought to himself, the, he said it, and, and it begins the psalm, I believe, with the revelation. It begins by this. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I believe as David sat there, that revelation came to him. As he looked out over his care for the sheep, that all of a sudden the revelation of God came on him. And he's like, the Lord is my shepherd. What a great revelation that if God does all of this for me, and uh, if, God is, if, if God shepherds me like, the sh like I shepherd my sheep, then why should I worry? Why should I come to the place of worry? Why should I, should I come to the place of worry? Now, I want to share a couple of things with you about worry real quick. <coughs> Number one, Worry is unhelpful. Worry is unhelpful in our life. Worry is like is right, getting in a car, revving up the engine, and leaving it in park. That is what worry's like. How many of you guys that when you were in high school, you would, you would tour or you would drive around the city and, and, and maybe you had a souped-up car or maybe you had a car uh, and you would, you would stop and put your car in park and you would rev that engine up to impress somebody or rev that engine up to impress a girl. You'd rev that engine up and squeal the tires or you would, you would and, and there'd be a lot of noise and there'd be a, a lot of smoke and a lot of exhaust, but, but you weren't doing any, absolutely nothing. You weren't going anywhere. You weren't doing anything. That is what worry is like. Worry is unhelpful. It's like being in a car that's not moving and you're revving up the engine. There's a lot of energy, but you're not going anywhere. To worry is unreasonable. In other words, when you begin to think about worry, it's kind of like those of you that are Star Trek fans, it's like what Spock says. Spock says uh, it's not logical to worry. And if you, if you were worried about something that you cannot change, why, why do you worry? Uh, uh, if you worry about something that you cannot change, uh, why do you worry about it if it's unchangeable? Why would we worry about something that we ourselves cannot, cannot change? But if you're worrying about something you can change, then we'd change it. In other words, why would we worry about something we have no control of and give our energy to? It's unreasonable to think that you are to worry about something that you cannot change. But if there's something that you're worrying about that you can change, 
then change it. Change what you can. And so if you're worried about something that needs to be changed, you can change it. Number three, worry is unhealthy. And uh, worry is unhealthy. Charles Mayo, co-founder of the Mayo Clinic, the study of the word worry on the body, this is what happens. He says this. He says it's effects. it affects the circulatory system, it affects the heart, and it, it affects uh, every gland in your body and the central nervous system. So body has, the worry has, is unhealthy because it has an effect on your body. Mayo went on to say that in the American Mercury Journal, he said this, he said, I've known, I've not known of anyone who has died from overwork, but I've known many people who have died from worry. You can literally worry yourself to death, but you can't worry yourself to life. You can worry yourself to death, but you can't worry yourself to life. Number four, worry is unnatural. In other words, we say he's just a natural worrier. How many have said that? I've had people in my family say that. Well, Johnny, don't worry about Johnny. Johnny's just a natural worrier. Johnny just, that's his nature. He just worries all the time. She's just a natural born worrier. Let me share something with you. That's not so. You don't have a genetic code in your body that says uh, you worry. There's not a genetic code. It is a learned act, and some of us have done a great job of doing that very thing, is worrying. Worry's not a genetic code. It's unnatural. It's not a genetic code. In other words, we attach that to people. It is a learned behavior. Worry is unnatural in our life. It's, it's not what God is best for us. Now, I'm going somewhere tonight because I want to take this worry to another level because I want to reveal to you what really is the underlined uh, a root of worry. I'm going to show you worry is just the manifestation of a root that is really deeper in your life. Tonight, we're going to uproot, we're going to uproot the root that causes worry in your life. Many of you are sitting home tonight and you're worried about about what the coming events. You're worried about what's going on in our world right now. And maybe you have reason to be concerned. You have reason to, to believe that, that things are difficult right now. Maybe you're home and you've lost your job. Maybe you're home and you're struggling. Maybe you know someone that has contacted this virus and you're praying for them. Maybe worry has encompassed your house. Maybe, maybe you feel afraid or scared or a little bit worried that something worse could happen, that the nation could fall into a deeper, deeper decline, and that something greater can happen. But I'm here to tell you that no matter how deep it gets, we have a shepherd that is watching over us tonight. We don't have to worry tonight because we have a great shepherd and we we can make the claim, the revelation, just like David, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Some of you need to confess that this week. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not going to worry because the Lord is my shepherd. Now David comes in into this first verse and he says this. He says that you and, you and I can face imminent, inevitable, and unknowable without worry uh, produced by fear. In other words, you and I can face the imminent, which is those things that are likely to happen. We can face the inevitable, those things which are certain to happen. And, and we can face the things that are unknowable, 
uh, the things that we do not know that are capable of happening. And so the fo- face, we can face, we, can f- we don't have to, to use worry. Worry does not have to bring fear upon our life. And this is how, this is how you face the imminent. This is how you, in, you face the inevitable. This is how you, in face, in fa- you face the unknowable. You know how you do that? It's by knowing God. Knowing God gives you the ability to face those things that cause worry in our lives. Now, some of you tonight, worry is an underlying thing that has been moving. It is like an underlying stream that has been underneath uh, working in your life. And you've masked it good by your faith. You, you, have, you have tried to stay strong. You've tried to be religious. You've tried to do things. But I'm here to tell you there's that current of fear that is running underneath your life. And that fear that is driven by worry. Worry is driving a fear in you that, that you don't understand. That you, you, you don't have peace when the imminent happens. You don't have peace when the inevitable happens. You don't have peace when the unknowable can happen. But here's how you can walk through those things is that you know God. And I want to talk a little bit about knowing God, how knowing God gives us the ability to overcome worry in our lives. And so it is what David says. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, it is a statement. I know God. That does something to the whole process of worry in my life. To know the fact that I'd have a relationship with God That does something to the process of worry that is in my life. And so whether you're listening by live stream or by the radio or whether you're listening uh, tonight or watching us tonight, let me tell you what the greatest need in our lives are. The greatest need in all of our lives is to know God, to know Christ as our Savior, to know Jesus as our Savior. There is a statement that I hear all the time. And uh, there is a statement, there's a saying uh, that sometimes we mix with Scripture sometimes. You know, years ago, I used to like to watch a show called 24. How many of y'all remember the show 24? How many of y'all remember Jack Bauer? Jack Bauer was like, was, was the coolest of all cool. I remember one of the season's finale one time, Jack Bauer was dying, and as he was dying, an Iman came and sat beside his bed. And as Iman came and sat beside his bed, he was sitting there, and Jack Bauer turns to him and says to him and looks at him, and he says, he says this, he says, you don't, Jack Bauer said, you don't know all the things that I have done. And uh, of course we did because we've been watching the show. But, but the Iman turns and he says to Jack Bauer, he says, the Iman says, what we need to do is we need to learn how to forgive ourselves. Look. Forgiving yourself in the long run does not do one bit of good for your life. In other words, it's like this. It's like going in and robbing a bank. It's like going in and committing a crime. And then as you're brought before the judge, how many know that it wouldn't work for you to stand before the judge and say, Judge, I have forgiven myself. Forgive me because I have forgiven myself. You know, the judge would say to you, I'm so glad that you have done that. But it's not, it's not what you need. What we need is not to forgive ourselves. What we need is we, we need a redeemer in our lives. Your life needs to be redeemed. You must be redeemed by a Savior. And David is saying in these opening statements of this psalm, 
When you have a relationship with Christ, it impacts you. It impacts the fact that you don't have to worry in life. David says, I know God. And because I know God, I don't have to worry in life. And it all begins by knowing God. It all begins by having a Savior and relationship with God. Now stay with me tonight because I'm going to let you know what the root of worry is and we're going to break that off of your life tonight as we go through this. But I want you to know a couple of things about knowing God. Number one, knowing God makes worry unnecessary in our lives. Knowing God makes worry unnecessary in our life. Now, I want you to look at the first part of verse 1 here in Psalms 23. It begins by saying the first two words. It says, the Lord. Now, the Lord. In that first verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But the first two words is the Lord. I want you to look at the word Lord there. It's interesting. If you'll notice that the word Lord there is capitalized, it's capitalized uh, to indicate uh, to indicate this that uh, that lets you know that this is a uh, is 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 the name Jehovah. The word here translated in Hebrew, Lord here, is the word Jehovah. It's translated Yahweh, where we get the Hebrew word Yahweh, and uh, it is the name that God had gave Moses on Sinai, and so it's the word Jehovah translated Yahweh. And in the Hebrew verb, it means to be. It means to be is what the word means. Uh, Yah, which means past tense. Uh, ho, hova, which is present tense. Uh, way is future tense. In other words, what is this passage saying? David is saying this to us. He is saying that God, that he is the God of our past. He is the God of our present. And he is the God of our future. He is the God who addresses the past. He is the God that is present right now. And he is the God of the future and is uh, and, and both coming and eternity. In other words, Hebrews 13, uh, 13.8 says it like this, that God, that Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Yesterday, today, and forever. Now, I want you to see something about this word, the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. It comes from the Hebrew word Jehovah, and it's interesting because it is a it, it's it's translated, and it comes with the compass of the word uh, a three tenses of the verb to be. It means to be. God is to be, and it is He will be, He is, and He was. In other words, the way that it's translated is I am who I am. In other words. Uh, this is translated, it dwells in what we call the eternal present tense. In the Hebrew, it means that it's the eternal present tense. Now, we describe our lives differently because we are, we are encompassed in time. And so we have uh, our lives past, we have our lives present, and we have our lives future. We can only be in one time at present at a time because we are encompassed by the, the, the tense of time in our lives. But that's not what this word means. The word Jehovah means that he is the I am of the I am of the I am. In other words, he is present eternity, which means he's present in our past. He's present in our, in our now, in our present. He is present in our future. It means that I am the I am. 
That's when he said those words, I am the I am. It means that God is present. He's Jehovah. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God of the future. The Lord. In other words, what David is saying at the beginning is that he is Jehovah. He's the God of yesterday, today, and he's the God of my future. He never changes. That's a powerful word. And it's unnecessary for you and I to worry. And it's unnecessary for us to worry because he is the God of our past. He is the God of our present. He is the God of our future. And you say, well, well, preacher, you know, my worries, you know, I have, I have everyday worries of life. I worry about my children. I worry about food on the table. I worry about food, uh, roof over my head. I worry about my country. I worry about sickness in my life. I worry about health care or, or daily things that I worry about, my business, my grandkids. And, uh, and, and, but listen, I'm glad you said that. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I want to take you to a passage of Scripture that Jesus addresses about this. If you would, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter, chapter, uh, chapter 6, and I want to show you something in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. I want to show you. Now listen, he's Jehovah. He's the Lord. He's the God that dwells in the eternal tents. He's the God that dwelled in our, dwells in our past and our present and our future. He's the God of our past, our present, and future. Now, I want to show you this when Jesus begins to talk about worry here with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins to deal with worry. Now, David is saying, the Lord. He's saying, I know God. Because I know God, worry is unnecessary in my life. I'm telling you, because you know God, you don't have to worry tonight. You don't have to drop one moment or lose one moment of sleep or lose one moment in life because God is your Jehovah tonight. He's the God of the past, the present, and the future. He's the God of right now. He's the God to, uh, who will be. Now, a couple of few years ago, we had a, young, a lady that came and spoke for us. Her name was Jan Painter. And as she was speaking, the spirit of prophecy came on her, and she began to speak a word in this church. And she began to tell us, she said, I prophesy in this church that you let God be. You let God be. Little did I realize that what she was saying was to let God be, which means encompasses all of who God is. He's Jehovah. And let God be the God of our past. Let God be the God of now. Let God be the God of future. And she kept saying, let God be. Let God be. And that got into my spirit. And I want you to know that tonight, you need to know, you need to just let God be in your life. And all your worry will dry up. But I want to show you this passage in Matthew chapter 6 and beginning in verse 25. And I want to read a couple because I want to show you this. Because God, because God in his word is so true. Verse 25, it says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. He says, do not worry about your life. Now, one translation says, do not be anxious about your life. If you have a King James Version, it may say, uh, do not give thought or do not, uh, uh, or do not take thought of your life. And so, if you have a new King James, it says, do not worry. Some translations say, do not give thought to, do not be anxious, is what the scripture says. He says, therefore, I do not want you to worry about your life. And this is what he says. Now, this is in what's called present tense, present active 
imperative. Now, those of you that are taking Dr. Sean's Greek class, you'll understand that, that present active imperative. This is what this word worry here in verse 25 is in. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, of what you will drink, nor about uh, your body or what you will put on. Um, um, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is he saying here? In other words, he uses the Greek word here, uh, marinao, and it means that be troubled with or annoyed in spirit. In other words, don't be anxious. Don't be troubled in your spirit. Don't be, don't be uh, annoyed in your spirit. Now, this word, marinado, comes from an interesting word. It comes from the first part of the Greek word was marizo, marineros, uh, which means this. It means split or divided mind. And then there's the word noose, where we get neo. It's the Greek word, which means mind. In other words, divided mind or split mind. What is this word worry? This word worry here in verse 25 means don't be troubled by or annoyed in your spirit. Do not have a divided mind, nor do not have a, a divided thought. That's why in the King James it says take no thought uh, or uh, be not anxious. Do not worry uh, in your thoughts. And listen, as I said before, it's in the present active imperative. What does that mean? You say, well, what does that mean? It means this. It means stop what you're doing right now. So what is God saying? What is the word here saying? What is Jesus saying here in verse 25? He's saying this, do not worry. Do not let your spirit be troubled. Do not be anxious. Don't let your mind be divided in this thing. Stop doing what you're doing right now. Now, do not worry about what? It's the present tense. Do not worry about your food on your table. Do not worry about the clothes that you wear. Do not, in other words, it means that God is to be God in your present moment. That's what it is. He's God in your present moment. You don't have to worry. It's unnecessary to worry in this, in this moment because he's the God of the present. He's the God that says, stop what you're doing right now. Don't have divided thoughts or divided mind, but write what you're doing right now. Stop worrying about food. Stop worrying about what you wear. Why? Because the Lord is your shepherd and you know him. And because you know God, worry is unnecessary in your life. And so uh, look at verse 27. We come down to verse 27. It says, which of you, which of you by worrying can add one cubic to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They never toil nor spin. Now, this is in what's called the present or the past imperative. In other words, what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying this, which of you has gained by worrying? Which of you has gained stature? Which of you has gained progress by worrying? What is this? It's, it's past, it's a past imperative. In other words, which of you, by worrying about your past, by worrying in your past, has made gain in your life by worrying about your past? What does Jesus say here? He says, do not worry about your clothing. Consider the lilies of the valley and how they have grown. They've neither toil nor spin. In other words, growth is a process. 
You allow God the worries of your past and you will begin to grow. You will not have concern for your growth because you serve a God who not only takes care of your present, but God is also interested in your past. He makes sure that the past is not hindered, does not hinder your future. Why? We don't have to worry about our past because our past is what it is. It's under the blood of Jesus. By knowing God, worrying about your past is unnecessary because it's under the blood of Jesus. How many of us have gained by worrying about our past? I would just want to encourage you tonight. And this is a word that is in my spirit. I'm here to tell you that God is going to empower you for hope. God is not, you're not going to be paralyzed by worry. Many of you have been paralyzed by worry. Some of you may have even taken medication because of worry. Worry has brought you to the place, and I'm here to tell you that if you know God, worry is unnecessary in your life. Come on, somebody help me tonight. Help me breathe. How many are glad that you don't have to worry tonight? I know the circumstances around you would be great cause to worry. But David said, the Lord, Jehovah, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah, the God of my past and present and the God of my future. Now I want you to look down at verse 34 of Matthew 6. It says this, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of its own thing, or tomorrow, uh, about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, listen to this. Look at this. When we look at this verse, therefore, therefore, in other words, what's previously been said, don't worry about tomorrow. This is in the future imperative. Verse 25 was the present imperative. Don't worry about your clothes today. Verse 27 and 28 talked about the past imperative. In other words, don't worry about your past. How can you add to the day by worrying about what happened yesterday? Here in verse 34 is the future imperative, which means don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what's going to happen tomorrow because he's Lord today. If he's Lord today, he will take care of tomorrow. Now remember this. If this word means to let God be, are to, to be, which means that he is the I am of the I am, which means that he is in the eternal present tense, which means that he's present in our past, he's present in our, in our present, and he's also present in our future. In other words, what will happen to us will not take God by surprise. How many are thankful that you, God, we are not taken by surprise in the future? How many God knows what's going to happen tomorrow? And God, if the Lord is your shepherd, he is going to shepherd you and take care of you. He is your Lord. He knows what tomorrow will bring. My God, that gets me stirred up. In other words, what's it saying? If you know God, it's unnecessary to worship or to worry. If you know God, it's unnecessary to worry. It's unnecessary to worry about the things of God. I began to look at this passage of scripture and I began to think to, my life, to myself that it's unnecessary for me to worry so much about God. God who dwells in the eternal present tense of my life. He's the God that dwells in my past, in my present, and my future. I know you say, well, pastor, you keep beating that. I want that to get in your spirit. I want you to know it's unnecessary for you to have to worry tonight. Number two, knowing God makes worry 
uncharacteristic in the believer's life. Number two, worry makes makes us makes knowing God makes worry uncharacteristic in our life. If I'm a believer, then if I listen, if I'm if I'm not consistent in listen, it, it is not consistent with a life that is under the lordship of Christ to can be characteristically a worrier. In other words, if Jesus is Lord of your life, it's uncharacteristic in a believer's life to live a life of worry. You don't have to worry tonight. The Lord is my shepherd. And listen, look look what it says. Uh, He said, the Lord is, and then part of verse there, uh, the, the last part of the verse there is this. What does the verse say? The verse says, the Lord is my shepherd. In other words, now the personal pronoun is what we call in the Hebrew a genitive possessive. In other words, he's my shepherd. It doesn't say that he's just a shepherd. It doesn't say that he is the shepherd. In other words, it says he's my shepherd. It is a personal possessive in the Hebrew. It means that it's a personal relationship. Because you know God tonight, it is unnecessary to worry. Because you know God tonight, it's uncharacteristic for the believer to worry. Why? Because he's my shepherd. It's a personal pronoun. It's personal possessive. I can reach out and he can become my shepherd tonight. He's my shepherd. I can say that. Can you say that tonight? That he is your shepherd tonight. How many are thankful he's your shepherd tonight? He's personally the Lord, the Lord, Jehovah, the God of to let be is my shepherd tonight. Personal pronoun. He's my shepherd. He's our shepherd as we know, but I can take that possessive as my shepherd tonight. And I want to encourage you tonight as my shepherd. Look, David says that, that he, what, they, what, what is David saying? Now here David is thinking as this in terms of a shepherd. He's out in the field. He's realizing that what he does for the sheep is what God does for him. And in this revelation that he has as a shepherd, he begins to think of the things as my shepherd. What does he do for me as my shepherd? Now, I have a word for you tonight. I'm going to share with you in just a second. But, but listen, listen. Listen to this. What does he do as a shepherd? What is it that he does? What is in terms, uh, 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 in, in thinking in the terms of what he's done for the sheep, he also looks in terms as what God has done for him. First of all, he understands that as a shepherd, he provides for the sheep. As he provides for the sheep, God provides for him. Now look at this. Now sheep can't provide for themselves. They are incredibly helpless animals. They really can't. They really can't. Matter of fact, if you take sheep, if a shepherd will lead a sheep into an area to graze, that if that shepherd does not move those sheep, he will bring them in those areas for provision, and they will eat the grass of that area. And what happens is that shepherd has to know when to move those sheep into a new field. Because what will happen is the sheep will eat that food and eat that grass and eat that area until that becomes a bowl of dust. They will, they will ruin that. They will, and listen, they will stay there and graze and graze and graze and graze until they starve to death. 
Do you know that if the shepherd doesn't move a sheep to new fields, they will starve to death right where they are? I'm here to tell you that's a word for the church. God is a provider. God leads us in the new fields. God leads us in the new pastures. God leads us in the new things, in the new seasons, in the new hours of our life. Thank God he's a shepherd that doesn't leave us in the same field all the time. He will bring us to a place in a field where we can begin to graze where we are. But there's a time when God says, you've ate here long enough. It's time for me to provide for you in a new way, in new ministries, in new outreach and new ways that you do ministry. I'm telling you, churches are dying because they do not allow the shepherd to provide for them and lead them into new fields. They starve, they're starved to death because they keep trying to eat off of dry, dusty ground where they've already ate at before. They try to live on past revivals, yesterday's words, yesterday's life, yesterday's ministry, yesterday's, but I'm here to tell you there is a shepherd who leads us and guides us and provides for us to go into new fields. Hallelujah. That's an encouraging word for us tonight. David looks at the sheep and David says, well, I protect the sheep. I protect, now you know sheep do not have no natural defense. How many know God is our protector? God protects us just as David protect the sheep. Now you say, well, you know, I, 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 I don't know. Sheep don't have any natural. How many of y'all read in the newspaper where three sheep have gone out and attacked a wolf and ate him up? You don't read that stuff. Why? Because sheep don't have no natural defense. That God is our protector. God is the one who protects us. He is the one that is with us. He is the one that protects us. He's the one that guides us. Now I want to share a word with you that I believe the Lord has spoken to me. You know, we're in this time of quarantine and, and we're in this time of, of, of being in this quarantine. And I believe God is using this time for the church. I really believe God is really doing some things different. I, I want to tell you all something. Let me just say this to us. I, I want to tell you that I, I'm really concerned about the, the accusation of other Christians and criticizing the way pastors are handling this time of, of quarantine and what preachers are doing. And, and, you know, I keep seeing Christian bashing pastors because they decide to have church. And I see Christians bashing pastors because they don't have church or they don't do it this way or they don't do it like that. I want to tell you what's happening right now. God is revealing some things about the church. And I want to tell you, he's revealing some things I don't think we necessarily like. And what I'm seeing is, is, that, is that we see him that the church really is not dwelling in unity. The church is not the brethren that dwells in unity. The church has a long way to go because we keep eating each other up. We keep discouraging one another. We keep, we keep discouraging and we keep uh, you know, criticizing and we keep tearing down and we got always got some opinion, always got something to say to somebody, always got to run down another ministry or another preacher or another, another avenue of ministry. Listen, I want to tell you, the Lord is our shepherd. The Lord is the one that protects us and guides us and leads us. And if the Lord is leading another pasture and leading a pastor and another flock another way, who are we to question of what they're doing if they're not stepping outside what the Word of God says. 
I just want to throw that two cents in there. That's not directed at anybody. I'm just telling you. I've been on Facebook all week this week, and all I've heard is just how people are criticizing what other preachers are doing, what other churches are doing. And I just want to tell you that sometimes God takes us in the moments like we're living right now in our world to reveal what we really are. What is the church today? What are we really? Are we really shut down right now? Is the church really shut down? As the church, I'm not going to be shut down. I'm not going to let, because I'm not having services, to shut down what we're doing. I'm not going to stop loving people. I'm not going to stop praying for people. I'm not going to stop believing for people. I'm not going to stop ministering to people. God, listen, the building may be shut down, but I'm here to tell you the church is alive. You know why the church is alive? Because the Lord is our, my shepherd, and he's your shepherd. Hallelujah. Isaiah chapter 26 gives us a picture. I want to show you something tonight. And, uh, and I just want to share this real quickly with you about being quarantined. It's amazing when something happens. It's amazing how the word of God can always address those things that we're going through in life. And so here in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 20, this is the children of Israel. They're in captivity. In the midst of captivity, God gives them a word of encouragement. And in the word of encouragement, this is what he says. But I want you to see the process of what happens here. Here God has his people in quarantine. Do you know that there's times when a shepherd has to quarantine his sheep? There are times when a shepherd has to take a flock of sheep and quarantine them for a couple of reasons. I'm going to share those with you in just a moment. Sometimes a flock can be divided where an under-shepherd is watching one part of the sheep And then there's the shepherd who takes the sheep off into another field. But when he brings those sheep back together again, he can't just bring them back together. He has to quarantine them for a certain time, and there's for a few reasons why. But I want you to see this in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 20. It said, come, my people, and enter your chambers and shut your doors behind you, the scripture says. Hide yourself, as it were, for a little moment. Until the indignation is past. Now, some translations will say anger. The anger of the Lord is past. It's an interesting word because the word does not mean anger as God is upset. Really, the word indignation here or the word anger, it means anguish. It means deep mourning. It means deep despair is what the word means. It means that, 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 that hide yourself as it were for a little moment until the indignation or until the and or until the mourning or the anguish has passed or until the despair has passed now look at verse 21 for behold the lord comes out of his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity and the earth will also disclose her blood and will no more cover her slain In other words, what God is saying, that in the midst here, God is speaking specifically of judging the earth and judging the children of Israel and judging the inhabitants of the earth. God's judgment, of course, is never to destroy. God's judgment is always restoration. God's wrath is is destruction. In other words, when God says that he's going to pour out his wrath, you better wake up because that's the end of it. God is bringing the destruction. But God's judgment is always the brain restoration. So what God is saying is that in this time when the land is being judged or when the land is going through what it's going through, 
uh, this time away in your chamber and you will remain there until the anguish passes or until it goes away or until it passes. Now, there are times God has quarantined his people. We've talked about how in the, in the book of Exodus, when, when the children of Israel and the plagues were coming upon Egypt, that God told them to get into their house and put blood over the doorpost of their home. And they did until all the plagues had passed over. What was God doing? He was judging the deities of Egypt. He was judging the idolatry of Egypt. And when the judgment had finally came, he gave the instruction of the children of Israel. And what happened was Jesus, God, put his head on the Egyptian deities and crushed them. And when he crushed them, now God said, it's time for you to let my people go. And what happened? The children of Israel came out of Egypt. Listen, after every judgment, after anguish is passed, after the judgment has come, in the midst of that judgment, God protected his people. But on the other end of it, once God judged the deities of Egypt, God said what? Let my people go. What happened? There was a move of God. There was an exodus that came out of Egypt, and they, they came out better than when they went in. They came out with wealth. They came out with, with cattle. They came out with all the wealth of Egypt. They came out with many things. They came out with abundance. Why? Because God is always about restoration. He's always about. Listen, when this coronavirus thing has ended and it's all done, I'm here to tell you that the church Church is going to be better on the other side. We're going to come out of this thing. It's going to be a lot better. Why? Because the Lord is our shepherd. There is blood over the doorpost of the church. He it protects us even in moments like this. And so here in Isaiah, in our, so see what happens. Once they have quarantined themselves and brought themselves in, we see in chapter 27 that in the days of the Lord, his severe sword and great strength, he will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan that twisted the serpent. Listen, God brought judgment upon the enemy and brought judgment on the enemy. And when God brings judgment on the enemy, after the enemy has been judged, then there's a freedom that comes in the people. Because guess what happens in this chapter 27 after they've been quarantined, after they've been set aside, locked away to the anguish, anguish of the hour has passed. You know what happened? God restored them as a nation. There was a restoration that came. There was a restoration that came. They, they came out of, they came out of the fury. They came out of the judgment. They came out of the difficulty and the anguish of that day. My God, I feel the presence of God. I'm telling you, on the other side of this, God is going to bless the church. Now, this is what I want you to see. God is quarantined. God quarantined Noah for 371 days. Now, listen, the word quarantine in Latin means 40 days. To be quarantined, the word quarantine means tested, a time of testing. It means that 40 days Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. 40 days it rained on the earth as Noah was in the ark. It's a time of testing. It's a time of, of testing. It's a time of quarantining. It is a Latin word that means 40 days. And so what happens when a shepherd takes the sheep and he quarantines them? During this quarantine, guess how long usually a shepherd will keep the sheep in quarantine? Now, I have read and researched that some shepherds uh, nowadays, they, they don't quarantine them as long. Some are 30 days, some are 15, you know, depending on what they have battled. But most sheep in, back in those days 
were quarantined 40 days. They were quarantined 40 days. They were separated, quarantined. Now, here's what happens. During that time of being quarantined, the shepherd looks for three things in the sheep during quarantine. In order, in order for the sheep to be healthy enough to go back into the flock, he checked three things on the sheep. As the sheep was quarantined, there were three things that had to be healthy in the sheep before he was released back into the flock. My God, help us in this season of being quarantined. How many know the Holy Spirit is putting his eye inside the church and he's looking inside of us? And these three things, I believe the Holy Spirit is checking in our spirit. He's checking the church and see if we qualify enough in order to be reintroduced back into the call and back into the rest of the forsaking or the assembling of ourselves together. There's three things that he looked for. Number one, the shepherd would look at the reproductive organs of the sheep. See, during quarantine, if a sheep was diseased, that sheep, he would have his, his reproductive organs, uh, there would be signs in his reproductive organs that he could not reproduce. And if he was diseased, there would be signs of that disease that would be a part of the inspection of his reproductive organs. Now, reproductive organs is the ability for that sheep to reproduce. I told you a couple of weeks ago in service that sheep produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. Shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. Sheep win sheep. Sheep win people to the Lord. Christians win Christians to the Lord. <coughs> and if your ability... Your ability to reproduce as a Christian. Sometimes when God lays you aside in a place of testing or a place of quarantine, he's checking the church's reproductive organs. He's making sure that on the other side of this, we're going to be the kind of church that's able to reproduce again and able to fulfill and do what God has called us to do. He's going to make sure that we're able to reproduce after our own kind again. I'm telling you, this is the time the church starts beginning to call in the harvest of this hour and bring people to Jesus. Now, I don't mean to be, I'm not mad. I'm just excited tonight and full and full tonight. The second thing that that shepherd will look at in the sheep during the process of quarantining, he will look inside the shepherd's or the sheep's mouth because the shepherd's teeth and the shepherd's mouth will tell that shepherd whether or not that sheep is diseased or not, whether or not that sheep has been infected, whether or not that sheep has had the ability to be reintroduced back into the assembling of itself together with the other sheep. In other words, the quarantining of that sheep, he will look into its mouth because in its mouth, its teeth represent the health of that sheep. Its mouth will represent the health of that sheep. He will see certain signs in his mouth. In other words, let me tell you something. During this time, what we say is important. During this time, what we confess is important. During this time, what our profession of faith is is important in this hour. We've got to be the hope to the world right now. We can't be glare the stew, agony on me. 
We can't be like hee-haw and like the uh, despair is everywhere and worry is everywhere. We can't be, we can't be diseased in our confession. We have to get the word of God and we can't be presumptuous. We have to live by faith. We've got to understand that we are, are, are shepherd by a great shepherd and we are sheep and there's a profession of our faith. There is a faith that comes out of us. There is a life that comes out of us. There is a voice that comes out of us that has the ability to give life to a generation. Life and death is in the power of our tongue tonight. We give life to a world that is without hope. And the, and the reason is, is that we are not paralyzed by fear, but we've been empowered with hope on the inside of us. And what we say and what our confession is, is very important. Hallelujah. Come on, praise God. Thank God tonight. In the middle of this quarantine, sheep are looked at, their reproductive organs are looked at, their, their teeth are looked at because, because in their mouth reveals a lot. I want to tell you something right now. I've learned a lot about some Christians in this season. It's amazing when things get tight, when things get rough, when the walls start closing in, how many people are going to bail out? How many people are going to all of a sudden lose their faith, lose their ability to stand? It's like the world has fallen. They're ready to go hide somewhere. I'm here to tell you this is our greatest hour. This is the hour the church has ready, is ready for. This is what you've been built for. This is what God has called us to do. And I believe our greatest hour is coming that after, listen, I really truly believe this. I believe that on the other end of this, there is a great awakening that is coming that God is going to bring to this nation. You know, I read a prophecy today. I don't have it in front of me, but I read a prophecy today. There was a prophecy that was given by David Wilkerson in 1986. David Wilkerson prophesied that there was a coming day and he specifically said there was a coming day when the plague would come through America. He said a plague would cover the earth. He said it would shut down churches and shut down government and shut down society. He said in that plague, that plague would come. And he said when that plague would come, and on the other end of that plague, there was going to be, it was going to be the catalyst for the third great awakening. David Wilkerson said that. I posted that on my page. You can go look at it. It's on, my, it's on my Facebook page. David Wilkerson said that in 1986. That was even before I became a Christian. I'm here to tell you that I believe the Word of God. I believe that God is our shepherd. He's Lord, and He is the shepherd. He is a shepherd. He is our great shepherd in our life. Praise God. Now, the third thing that happens when a sheep is in quarantine, the third thing that the shepherd does is that he checks the hooves of the sheep because those are the three areas that disease, oh, actually there's four areas that disease shows up. Disease shows up in the hooves of the sheep. And so he'll take the hooves of that sheep, he'll look at that sheep's feet, he'll look at those hooves, he'll see if there's been any degeneration, he'll see if there's been any the rotting or disease of those hooves, he can look at those hooves and tell where that sheep's been walking. Because what happens is, is that here, here's, here's the thing. Sheep and goats both have the same diseases. They both share the same diseases. Now, there are some diseases that are passed from some animals, like cattle and things to other, but sheep and goats have the same disease uh, process. They, 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 they're infected by the same diseases. But here's what I want you to know about sheep. Sheep 
are more susceptible to the diseases of goats than goats are susceptible to the diseases of sheep. In other words, what is that telling us? I'm here to tell you that it's good that sheep are not around goats, especially when goats are sick. Because sheep is more susceptible to to get something from the goat than the sheep are to give it to the goat. Isn't that a great spiritual principle in our lives? Some of y'all have been hanging around goats, and those goats have transmitted some diseases into your life, and faith and hope has died in your life. You live in worry. You live in fear. I'm here to tell you, there's probably some goats you got to remove out of your life, quarantine yourself until you get healthy to be used of God again. That shepherd will look at the hooves of that sheep, and he'll look at the hooves, and he can tell where that sheep's been walking. He can tell what that sheep's walk is like. Boy, I'm here to tell you that this time that we are quarantined as a church, it'd be a good, it'd be a good time to take a look at our walk. It'd be a good time to take a look of how we have presented ourselves as the body of Christ. I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching to me. I'm preaching to the whole church. I'm preaching to the church as a whole. I'm preaching to the body of Christ. I'm calling us, us back to a new, listen, we can't, when this thing's over, we can't do church like we did before. We've been good at doing church. We've been good at putting church on. And now that church has been shut down, some of us don't even know how to be a Christian because everything we've done has been so religious and so pious and so out of duty and so out of religious activity that we don't even know what we're to do. We don't even know how to care for people. We don't even know how to have compassion for people. But I'm here to tell you the shepherd uses the quarantine of the sheep so that the sheep could get back healthy again. I'm telling you this time of quarantining, whatever you want to call it, this time of social distancing, I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven who is our great shepherd. He is taking this moment to get the church healthy. Man, I can't wait until God breaks the church loose again. We're going to be different. We're going to walk different, live different, hack different. In Jesus' name. Y'all help me tonight. I hope that at home you're rejoicing like I'm helping here, like I'm rejoicing here. You know why the shepherd does that? He does that to protect the sheep. He's protecting the sheep. He's quarantining the sheep because he wants the sheep to return back healthy. He don't want the other aspects of the body or the sheep the other sheep to be infected with disease that has been picked up by the sheep that has been grazing in some other field. Sometimes the shepherd will take the sheep into a different field to graze and he'll split the sheep up and one sheep in one pasture and the sheep in another pasture. But he's got to make sure that when he brings them back together that the sheep doesn't pick up a disease in another pasture and pasture and begin to infect those that are in one pasture. Listen to me, church. I'm here to tell you that some of y'all been grazing and church pastors are pastures. You've been grazing off of food that is not faith. You've been grazing off of shallow Christianity. You've been grazing off of positive thinking and shallow words. And all of a sudden, you think that you're going to come back and the move of God is going to happen. There's a disease that is running through the body of Christ. And we've become self-sufficient in our own in our own self. And pride has entered into us. But the great shepherd is quarantining us because he knows there's a day when we come back and assemble ourselves together we all again will be eating from the same fold. 
and from the same place. Help me, Jesus. Help us, Jesus. Praise God. I got to quit. I know I got to quit. I didn't even get through all of what I was preaching about worry. But I'm here to tell you that the shepherd, he provides, the shepherd protects, the shepherd guides. I'm telling you, the shepherd guides us. He's guiding us. In other words, sheep don't have a sense of their surrounding. They've got to be led. They've got to be guided. They've got to be led. They're not like a dog that you can take a dog and drop him off somewhere miles away and he'll find his way home. You can't do that to a sheep. A sheep's eyesight is poor, as we'll learn later. And because their eyesight is poor, they don't have the ability to underknow their surroundings. I'm here to tell you that we are flesh. We are flesh and blood. We need the shepherd to help us discern the hour we live in and the moment that we are. We need the shepherd to guide us. We need the shepherd to give us discernment. We need the shepherd to direct us. We need the shepherd that will guide us. Hallelujah. We need a shepherd to direct us. We need a shepherd that, that keep us away from harmful things, keep us away from the valley of the shadow of death, keep us away from things. Direct us that we may be able to come back and dwell again in the house of the Lord. I want to close with two stories real quickly. I was reading an article this week, and I'll try to put it up on my Facebook page. I thought it was very interesting. I was reading this article that back in 2016, the end of 2016, December of 2016, that somehow the Canadian government had been raising sheep that had a genetic uh, ancestry that was over 5,000 years old that came out of Israel. In other words, they had 119 sheep that they sent to Israel, 119 sheep that they sent to Israel to, to reproduce. These were sheep that were sheep that were, uh, had the genetics and had the DNA of 5,000-year-old sheep from Israel. This is what they called them. They called them Jacob's sheep. The reason was is because the time that these sheep, the, the ancestry of these sheep were the sheep that came out of Jacob's field came out of Jacob's field. So they call them Jacob's sheep. And they sent them back to Israel. This is why they sent them back to Israel. They sent them back to Israel because the Jewish nation, the rabbis there, are beginning to prepare and to, to develop and grow sheep so that they can now reintroduce temple sacrifice again when the time comes. And they need a sheep that are genetically and are impure. They're pure and they're flawless. And these sheep come directly from the ancestry of Jacob. It's a powerful story. I was amazing. I, did, I, don't know, I don't know how all of the genetics got to Canada, but they sent these sheep back in 2017 so that those rabbis can begin to, to, begin to position those sheep as sacrifice. Listen. Sheep ultimately become sacrificed. Sheep become sacrificed. And here's the thing is, your life and my life are living sacrifices. We are a sacrifice. And the last way that a sheep being quarantined that a shepherd does is he can tell by when he's shearing that sheep whether that sheep is diseased. Why? Because it's growth, what it produces if it's got ringworms or if it's got worms or if it's got certain diseases, then its wool is no good. What it produces, its fruit is no good. I'm here to tell you that the fruit is no good. We're going to pray in just a second. I want to close with this story.
I, I love stories about sheep. I was reading not too long ago a fascinating article about sheep in the USA Today. It was Jul- the, the July 8th, 2015 is when the article was in USA Today. It's a fascinating article about 450 sheep. 450 sheep ran off of a cliff. And it was in a little village in Turkey, and it was owned by a little group of villagers. And in, the, in this little town in Turkey, 450 sheep of 1,500 sheep ran off the edge of a cliff. And they were trying to figure out why all of these sheep ran off this cliff. And it was owned by villagers. And uh, what they began to find out is, of course, sheep uh, have very poor eyesight, and uh, they will follow... Uh, what, what's in front of them. They will follow everything that's in front of them. We're like that. The body of Christ, we'll just follow anything. If we don't have discernment, we just follow anything. It'll lead us off to a cliff. We don't care. We just follow it. We just follow any old teaching. We just follow any old preaching. We just follow anybody that says they got a revelation or anybody that says they got... I hope you're hearing me tonight. I'm here to tell you that we, we, we can't just follow everybody. You just can't connect with everybody. And so the sheep, they ran off this cliff, 450 of 1,500 of them. And they were owned by villagers. And what happened was, what we began to find out was, the reason is, of course, these sheep have poor eyesight, so they, they will just follow what's in front of them. But here's what's amazing. Here's what we found out. That in this village, there were a bunch of, of owners of sheep. Some people had 20 sheep. Some had 30. Some had 40. Some had 50. There were a couple shepherds that had 100 head of sheep. And what they did was, is they brought all of those sheep together as a village. They brought all of those sheep together. They thought they could be more productive. They thought they could be more, uh, they thought they could do more. They could reproduce more. They felt like the village could make more money. The village could be more prosperous. Listen to me. Now, we talk about the body of Christ coming together. And we talk about a church that's got 20 over there working with a church that's got 50 or a church here that's got 500 that work with a church like 100. We want to bring all those, those things together. And that's what they did. They brought all these sheep together. They brought them all together. And here's, here, here, was, here was the problem. The problem, the reason why that those sheep ran off the edge of that cliff is because the shepherd was not attending and paying attention to the sheep. You say, well, he was a bad shepherd. Well, he was a bad shepherd. But I want to tell you why he was a bad shepherd. In the article, they began to see that what they did was they brought all of these sheep together, and they didn't shepherd the sheep. They hired a shepherd to watch the sheep. In other words, the shepherd was a hireling. In other words, he wasn't a she- He was just there to watch them. He was there. He was being paid to do it. They weren't his sheep. He didn't care for them. They weren't his He was a hireling. In other words, he didn't have any interest in guiding the sheep. He didn't have any interest in directing the sheep. He didn't even have any interest in protecting the sheep. He was just a hireling. He was just a hireling. And because he was just a hireling, he didn't care that the sheep ran off the edge of the cliff. Why? Because he was not losing anything. Listen, I want to talk to shepherds. Listen, we need to understand that our great shepherd, he directs us and leads us and he cares for us. And we don't have to worry. We don't have to let worry destroy our lives. Isaiah 40 and 11 says, like a shepherd, he will tend to his flock. Like a shepherd, John 10, 14, he says, I know my own and my own know me. 
My sheep hear my voice and know my voice. Notice that the sheep hear his voice. He says in John 10, 28, no one can snatch them out of my hand or the Father's hand. No one can pull them away. You know, I didn't get to what I wanted to go tonight, to root of what worry is, but I'm going to give it to you real quick. You can study through it. But as we close tonight, I want to pray for those that, that are dealing with worry in your life. Let me tell you what the root of worry is. Worry is a byproduct of one thing. It's control. In other words, it's the, it's the ability when we say, I have to be in control of my life. When we have to be in control, worry is the byproduct of someone who has to be in control. In other words, we say, I've got to control my life. I cannot let the shepherd control my life. Because to let the shepherd control, to let the shepherd have control of our life, we worry. I'm here to tell you that it's time for some of us to let go and let the shepherd. Let go and let the Lord be your shepherd tonight. Let the Lord be your shepherd. Be, you need to say it. You need to say, my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He is my shepherd. He's not just River Valley Community Church's shepherd. He's my shepherd. It's a personal pronoun. He is the Lord. He is Jehovah. He's the God that let be. Let God be. He's the God of the past. He's the God of the present. And he's the God of the future. I want to pray with you tonight. Listen, if, you, if you're worrying tonight, I want you to take your hand and put it on your heart. I want you to place your hand on your heart. If you got worry, if you're struggling tonight, it's a control thing. It's really about who am I going to let in charge of my life. It's a lordship thing. Worry is unnecessary in our life. Worry is unreasonable in our life because we have such a great shepherd who provides for us, who directs us, who leads us. And so I want you to let go tonight and let the shepherd direct your life. I want you to let go tonight and let worry leave you tonight. I don't want you to be paralyzed in fear again by worry. I don't want, I don't want you to be paralyzed. I don't want you to be a sheep that just follows what's in front of you. I don't want you to be, I, this time of being quarantined, we got to let the Holy Spirit inspect us. You're going to say, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm not going to worry about tomorrow because he's the God of the future tense. He's the God of our present tense, present active. In other words, stop worrying now is a direct. Stop worrying about what you're going to eat. Stop worrying about what you're going to wear. Stop worrying about your daily provision. And I know that's hard to say when some of you are losing your job and some of you are having difficulties and things are tight in this world and things are inconsistent right now. The whole world is unraveling. And I want to tell you, in the next month that this continues, it, it may just get a little bit worse. But we're not people of worry. We're people that have a shepherd. You're covered tonight. My goodness, you're covered tonight. My, my God, we are covered tonight. Stay with me tonight. Come on. I, I, want you to, I want you to not worry. I want to break that off of you tonight. Break that fear off of you. You're going to be empowered with hope tonight. And I'm going to pray with you. Put your hand on your heart. It's about control. It's about control. We worry when we're not in control. I've seen people literally go insane because they could not control the affairs of their family. I've seen mothers have to go on medication because they could not control the events of a child's life that they've controlled all their life. 
I've seen people go insane. I've seen fathers who have controlled their whole household and ruled their, their house with a heavy hand. They've controlled the movement of their children, the movement of everything in their life, and all of a sudden, their children get of age and they no longer can control them. And all of a sudden, because they've not learned to trust them with God, That's why we dedicate our children. You know why we dedicate our children right here at this altar? We dedicate our children because what we're saying is, God, I'm taking my hands off of them and I'm putting it in your hands. You can't control everything. You got to stop worrying about it. You got to stop worrying about it. I'm telling you, it'll eat you up. It'll eat you alive. It's why why you're diseased. It's why you're not productive. That's why goats can come alongside of you and influence you because, because you allow goats to disease you and come on the inside of you because you're worry. You're, you worry. You don't have a shepherd. You, you don't understand the principle of lordship in your life. He's the great shepherd. He's your shepherd. I'm going to pray this prayer. We're going to release it tonight. Listen, I, I'm, I'm lingering because I'm letting the Spirit of God work. The Spirit of God is working in some of you even right this moment power of the Holy Spirit is on you. The power of the Holy Spirit is all over you. Just put your hands on your heart. God, I release every bit of control right now. I let go, God. God, you are my shepherd. You are the Lord. You're the God of the past, the present, and the future. You are my guide. You give me direction. You lead me. You lead me in pastures that are full. You do not leave me to starve in pastures that no longer have food. I don't have the ability to defend myself, but you come alongside me and you become the shepherd that protects me. I have no natural defenses other than my leaning on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I want you just to let go. Let go of that thing you've tried to hold on to for so long. And as you do, worries lifting. Some of you are worrying about your parents. Some of your parents are aged, and you're worrying about them. Somebody's worrying about their parents. I'm here, and I'm giving you a word tonight. Release them into God's hands. God's going to protect them. God's going to be with them. Just let it go. Stop worrying. Some of you are worried about children that have gone astray, prodigal sons and daughters that have left and have not come back to God. And what you've done is you've tried to manipulate them back to church. You've tried to do everything you can to force them back. I'm here to tell you, you just need to let the shepherd lead them and guide them. He may have to break a leg in order to get them back. But I'm here to tell you that the shepherd knows exactly what to do. Come on, somebody's got a son or daughter that's away from God. And you're letting the worry of their soul block what God wants to do in your life. And I just release that right now. Release that child right now to God. Release that child right now to God. Take your hands off of it. Let worry. Do not worry about it no more. Because worry is unnecessary. Because we have a shepherd. Worry is unreasonable because we have a shepherd. Father, I just pray right now that you will break the spirit of worry. You will replace worry with hope. You will replace worry with lordship. You will replace worry not with control, but with trust. I pray that those that are listening tonight, their trust would be in you. Your word said some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord.
Who are you trusting in tonight? Who are you trusting in tonight? Who's your trust tonight? Dear God, I pray, God, that worry will be gone. We pray this prayer tonight for all of those that are trusting in you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. You know, we want to thank you for watching tonight. If God's touched you or ministered to you tonight, would you let us know? We always want to be encouraged by knowing that, that this ministry, that we are, we are helping to bring encouragement to your life. And we pray that you were touched tonight. I'm telling you, I believe God is getting ready to do some amazing things. Don't forget that next week, beginning on Monday, our kids, Kingdom Kids Club, uh, our kids are going to have Easter week, Easter revival. Join us at 10 a.m. daily as our children's church will have uh, each day we'll have a 10 or have a 15, 20 minute service and you can be a part of that. It's going to be a great week leading up to Easter. This Sunday is Palm Sunday. I want to tell you I got a special guest for communion this Sunday. Tune in Sunday, 10 a.m. I got a special guest that's going to be with us uh, that's going to be doing communion for us. And I want to encourage you to come be a part of that and watch us, join us Sunday morning. Hopefully soon we'll be able to fellowship back together again. I love you. Thank you for watching. Thank you for being patient tonight. I hope the Word of God encouraged you. I pray for all those that are battling sicknesses. I pray for our nation. Come on, we got to continue every day to wake up with faith. we got to crush this virus. we got to cover it with the blood. I would encourage each one of you to get out, and I'd put something over my doorpost. I'd put a ribbon. I'd put a wreath. I'd put something over my doorpost that represents the blood that says my trust is in Jesus that the plague cannot come near my house, cannot come near my home. I would cover my house. I would just cover it by faith. I'm not saying that that's going to run off the plague. What I'm saying is our actions of faith puts our trust in God and not in ourselves. And so I just want, it's not a magic thing. It's a faith thing. And I just want to encourage you tonight. God bless you. We love you. Thank you for joining us tonight. And we'll see you soon. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.